Nehemiah chapter 8. And I want to start with a confession to you guys that I have been guilty in the past in prayer meetings, especially meetings like this where we permit the exercise of the spiritual gifts and we give room for prophecies and exhortations and things like that. I have been guilty of sneering inwardly at people who seems all they've ever got to say when we come together is Jesus loves you and the joy of the Lord is your strength and God's going to be faithful. Don't worry. And I've said things like, feels like all we ever pray about is, is getting people through their trials. And that's a real, uh, not a good attitude for a pastor to have, let me tell you. And I mean, there's, there's some good to that, if I can speak in my own defense a minute. You know, we, we want to make sure that we get the entirety of the word and that we're not letting our own preferences drive how we speak in the church. But I also knew, but never made the connection, that we are living at a time, and you all know this, I don't have the stats in front of me, but you've seen it before, where people are more afraid, more depressed, more anxious, more stressed out, more suicidal, more mentally ill, and I don't mean that in, you know, any specific way, just broadly, than ever before. So when we come into the house of God, the Holy Spirit, who is called our comforter, has a lot of comforting to do. And I was looking at it selfishly because I was fine. And I thought, you know, what are we always talking about joy for? Y'all need to just get your act together and snap out of it like I did. Like I'm so great. But it was a good reminder for me. And sometimes I've even sneered at certain worship songs or certain ministries that key real heavy on joy and peace and happiness. And I mean that in the good sense, not in the, uh, in the bad way. But and it's like, don't they know there's more to doctrine than joy and don't they know there's more to study in the bible than god's faithfulness and the lord's like did you know that that was in there because you sort of jumped over it real quick not recognizing that the reason people respond to songs like good good father there's a lot of people that do not have any father never mind a good good father the reason people respond to songs that talk about the joy of the lord is because people don't have joy well, they ought to be talking about repentance. And the Lord's like, yeah, they've already repented. They need my joy. And the joy, the Lord's kindness leads us to repentance, not his angry face. You better get it right or I'm going to toast every single one of you. The Lord's kindness and patience leads us to repentance. So that was my attitude that the Lord has been working on for the last several years. But let's read this in Nehemiah chapter 8 here. What's going on in this story is... They've returned from exile in Babylon to Jerusalem, and they've started to begin work on the wall and work on the temple, and the temple was kind of pathetic and would remain so until Herod came in and renovated it. But they now open up the book of the law. Ezra reads from the book of the law, and as they read from it, every page brought more and more conviction to these people because they realized we have not kept any of this stuff. You ever do that? You ever read your Bible and you're like, oh man, I'm not doing none of that. But listen to what Nehemiah said. Now, Nehemiah was a tough guy. You read through the end of Nehemiah, is the book of Nehemiah. He came back and there were people that were starting to let the Samaritans take up residence in the temple and that they were intermarrying with the people again. And Nehemiah literally knocked some heads together 
He pulled beards out. He shook people and forced them to swear by the Lord that they would do right. So he's a tough guy. And we can get addicted to tough preaching. You know? Oh, man, that guy just gives it to him. But listen to what he did in verse 8 or verse 9. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the Lord. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, underline it, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Isn't that interesting? I know some people, maybe myself included on certain days, who would say, Hey, the people are weeping over the word of the Lord. you got to capitalize on that situation, man. This is your time to drive it home and say, yeah, you should weep. Now go home and fast and sackcloth and ashes. And Nehemiah didn't do that. He said, no, 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 none of that. Go home and have a party. Go home and eat the fat portions. You know, go eat the ribeye, the good steak, you know, the sweet wine. Go home and if anybody doesn't have any, send it to them. We're going to rejoice because this is the Lord bringing us back to himself. And I'll tell you what, we're in, we're in a year and we're in times where we want to weep. Some of us have wept this year. We've, we want to despair. We want to become downcast. And we can even start to feel that it would be inappropriate to rejoice in the church when this many bad things are happening around us. But look at what the Lord calls us to do. He says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. He says, if you want to endure through these times. In, in Israel's case, this was a self-inflicted problem. So do you want to get over that? The joy of the Lord is your strength. Praise is how you're going to fight this battle. You're going to rejoice in the Lord because that's where your strength is going to come from. Because if the enemy gets you down, man, you're never getting back up. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1 because I know how our, how our fleshly minds work. And we say, well, that's Old Testament. Yeah, of course it's Old Testament. It still applies. But let's get some New Testament in there too. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 12. What's the situation here? The first waves of persecution from Rome had begun. Nero, the guy that burned his city to the ground and blamed the Christians for it. The guy that fed Christians to the lions. The guy that had their heads cut off. The guy that dipped them in candle wax and lit them in fire on the street. And what does Peter write to these people? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is unperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. 
so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. He writes to a bunch of people having their families torn apart, seeing their businesses fail, seeing their friends being led into the arena to be devoured by wild beasts. And he opens up by saying, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he talks about their hope in heaven. And he says, that's why we rejoice. Because your joy is not rooted in what's going on around you. If it was, we'd have some serious trouble. And I think what we're seeing now, there are a lot of people alive in this day and age whose joy is tied to the circumstances around them. And they're not very joyful right now, are they? The trials of life, and they do come. They do come. We've gone through them this year. There may be more to come. But they are not what determines our attitude. Well, once this is over, we're going to get a handle on it. We'll get it all together. You're not promised that. Things could get better tomorrow. Things could get worse tomorrow. We don't know. But the Lord has said, I know, and I'm not telling you, but I'm telling you what your attitude needs to be. And that is one of joy. And you know what we tend to do? And I say myself here too. We minimize the promises of God in favor of what we call realism. We've got to be realistic. Don't you see what's going on? Don't you see? What What if people were screaming and breaking our windows and chanting outside of our doors? And would you be so joyful then? Well, that's what Jesus told us to do, isn't it? Rejoice when you're counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. Well, we're not suffering for the name of Jesus yet, so certainly we've still got reason to rejoice, don't we? But you don't understand. We can't come in here and sing a bunch of happy songs. People are going through trials. Yeah, the last thing people full of trials want is to show up and be reminded of how miserable everything is, isn't it? Oh, things are so hard. I hope we go to church and have a really miserable service. That's not how it works, is it? And now we might think, there's the thing, we think that's spiritual. We can think that it is more spiritual to be downcast than it is to be exuberant. That is not the case. Don't you know that? Jesus talked about those Pharisees, remember? That they would go to fast and they would disfigure their faces and they would pour ashes on their head, and they would wail for their fasting, and everybody would look at them and say, wow, they're so spiritual. And Jesus said, please don't do that. He said, if you're going to fast, if you're going to do a little bit of self-inflicted misery, go home, wash your face, anoint your head with oil, and put a big grin on your face when you walk down the street. Now, it would be equally wrong for me to say that it's more spiritual to be happy than it is to be downcast. But that's not the lesson we need to learn in 2020, is it? Well, I'm just trying to be realistic. We do this when we talk about the promises of God. The Lord has promised us here in Peter, joy inexpressible. Hey, man, people are dealing with some really serious mental issues. And and did you come in and minimize that? And and then that's just not fair to do. That doesn't demonstrate to me a realism. That demonstrates to me a lack of faith in the God who provides hope and joy and peace. A lot of times we are so dead set, rightly so, on the doctrine of forgiveness of sins, but we apply that to any other promise of God, and we go, I don't know. 
Yeah, God promised joy, but, you know, maybe, maybe not. Yeah, God promised that he would be with us in our trials, but, you know, that doesn't mean they're going to get any better. God promised he'd answer our prayers, but I don't know if that really counts or not anymore. That's not spiritual. Why do we think that's spiritual? Well, I'm willing to endure. Okay, great. That's awesome. I'm glad you're able to endure. You should be able to endure. But if you're not able to rejoice in the Lord, you're going to endure trials with a scowl on your face? Well, that's, that's not Christianity. That's like stoicism or something like that. It might be admirable, but it's not Christian. Peter says, we're being torn apart by wild beasts, and we rejoice with joy inexpressible. When was the last time you were inexpressibly happy? Maybe your wedding. You remember that day when you're like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe I get to be with this person for the rest of my life. Maybe when you finally got that, that career move that you were waiting for and it just, you, you're dancing around the house and you don't know what to do and you're, I can't believe this. Maybe when you were saved. Oh, the joy that overflows. New believers are so much fun to be around. So they'll just stop the conversation and go, man, God is so good, man. Joy inexpressible. Well, I've matured. I hope you have not outgrown your joy because that is not what the Lord has told you to do. Turn to Philippians chapter 4. Now we might say, well, it would be nice to have joy, but it's not as if it's mandatory. Well, let's see what Paul had to say in Philippians chapter 4. Starting in verse 4. You know this one. You probably know all these. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say, rejoice It's almost as if Paul knew he needed to say, hey, did you catch that? Always let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Reasonable. I'm trying to be reasonable. No, reasonable is if you really believe that Jesus is Lord and he's seated at the right hand of the Father and you're filled with his Holy Spirit, it's only reasonable to be joyful. The Lord is at hand. Verse 6, here's a commandment for you. Do not be anxious about anything. Well, how am I supposed to do that? Well, he tells you. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You ever been so full of peace and it did not make sense? I have. It's the strangest thing. I should be stressed out right now. (laughs) I should be anxious. Normally, I'd be really freaking out, but the Lord is just sustaining me. I found in in my case, it often happens when something terrible happens, and my job is to minister to other people going through it. The Lord just lifts you up and sustains you, enables you to get through it. The peace. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. How does that describe your social media feed? Whatever is true, might be true, could be true. It's bad if it's true. Hopefully it's not true. Whatever is honorable, can you believe what he did? Whatever is just, when we dwell on injustice, and it's the only thing we think about, whatever is pure, when we dwell on impurity. Some people, they they talk about nothing else, but how shocked they are at some impure thing somebody else is doing. 
it was lovely and commendable, if there's any excellence worthy of praise, think about these things, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So you're commanded to rejoice. You're commanded to not be anxious. Say, I can't do that. You're right. God has to do it for you. But he's told you how to get there. And he says, first of all, prayer. Everything by prayer. Bring it all to the Lord. I've said this before. Not just agreeing that praying would be a good idea, but actually getting on your knees and praying. And then controlling what comes into your mind. The Lord has commanded us to rejoice. And he says, but if you're filling your mind with a bunch of gunk, it's not going to work. And then you can't say, Lord, why are you not giving me your peace? The Lord's like, well, I've already given you the diagnostic here. Stop filling your mind with this stuff. The Lord's promises of deliverance and peace and joy, they are real and they are literal. And we are to be instructed to seek them. I said, well, are you saying that the Lord's just going to turn on a light switch and everything's going to be better? Do not negate that possibility because that could very well happen. There have been times in my life where the Lord has done one work in one evening and I've been done with stuff. There have been other things I had to walk through for a long time. Well, I just got to be realistic. You serve a real God that raises the dead. Let's be realistic. Let's incorporate the, the theology that we believe here. And we say, well... I'm better now, but I feel like I'm just slowly growing. Well, yeah, the promises of God, they're like the forgiveness of sin. You have been forgiven. The Lord is presently sanctifying you, and someday you're going to be delivered from all that stuff totally. Same thing with joy in your life. God has given it to you as an inheritance. You have to learn how to appropriate that more in your life, and someday the Lord's going to wipe away every tear from your eye. So Paul says, rejoice always, and again I say, rejoice how through prayer and through controlling what goes into your mind and your heart. <laughs> Turn with me one more to Hebrews chapter 12. Okay. So we know from both Old Testament and New that despite what's going on around us, we are to be filled with the joy of the Lord, that it's our inheritance as sons and daughters of God. We've also been commanded to seek it and told how to do that. So, therefore, in 2020, Hebrews 12, 12, Lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. The writer to Hebrews says, get up, strengthen those hands, stand up on your own two feet. Trust that the Lord is there, that what is lame may not be put out of joint. You ever get an injury and you don't tend to it properly and it doesn't heal quite right? Well, all of us have been knocked around in 2020. We've all been knocked around. And we've all gotten those wounds from life. And the Lord is saying, strengthen your weary hands, strengthen your weary knees, get up so that these bruises that you're taking don't turn into long-term injuries that break you. You know what happens when a bone doesn't heal right, when it's been broken, what has to happen? It's got to be broken again and reset. The Lord says, listen, you ought to be so full of joy and faith that even in your trials, without minimizing the trials, they're real, they're serious, but recognizing there's something that's greater and higher than that. And here's my appeal that I want to give to us, you guys. The Lord is calling this church 
and I believe all of his church, but especially this one. I spent a significant amount of time praying about this last night, and I'm confident I've heard from the Lord. To be a beacon of joy and hope to the people that we encounter. It's, it's become a meme and a joke, people talking about how awful 2020 is. But you know what? It doesn't sit right with me. Because I'm a Christian. I serve the one true living God who died on the cross and rose again and has promised to return in power and set everything right. And he's given me a commission to go and bring the good news to the world. So for me to sit here wallowing with the rest of the world and how bad things are is unacceptable. The joy of the Lord is my strength. But if I spend so much time talking about how bad things are, I'm weakening myself. Well, I just want to take things seriously. Pessimism is not sobriety. They're not the same thing. As a Christian, you are to live your life in light of the cross. Peter was writing to persecuted Christians and say, you rejoice with joy, inexpressible. I want this church and the Lord wants this church to be infectious in its joy. That when we interact with somebody, they feel just a little bit better about where things are. Because as long as there are people like that around, as long as there are Christians that are full of the joy of the Lord, that's what we need to be. I don't know exactly how we're going to do this, but I, f- I feel from the Lord to be placing a, a greater emphasis on joy in this church. I'm not one for themes, really. I want, I want to teach verse by verse. That's my thing. I think it's the way to do it. But we need the joy of the Lord to be our strength. If we're going to stay stuck in our misery, who wants that God? Well, our God, you know, he's waiting on the other side. We got to, we got to crawl through this mud and then we'll get to the other. No, the Lord says, I've lifted you up out of the miry clay and I've set your feet on a solid rock. That's true. Whether it feels true or not. Amen. That is true. Whether it feels true or not. And you've got to be like David when he says, bless the Lord, O my soul. When your soul wants to whine and complain and hate God and blaspheme, you say, no, you're going to bless the Lord. We're going to walk in joy. And we have this weird obsession with our feelings where I can't change the way I feel. Nonsense. The Lord told you how to change the way you feel. You curate your life so that the things around you buoy you up. So that when a joyful person faces the same mess that a miserable person faces, one of them breaks, the other one shines like the stars in the heavens, the Bible says. That's who we're called to be. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Amen? I know I needed to hear that. I needed a serious attitude adjustment. And whenever the Lord does that and you start seeing everywhere in your life where you've messed that up, you know, you hear a, a joyful sermon or a joyful worship song and you're like, that's not what people need to hear. The Lord's like, really? Because you sound pretty crabby. Maybe you're the one that needs to hear it. The joy of the Lord. That not fake joy, sincere joy. Because we really do believe this, don't we? It'd be faking it if we didn't think any of it was real. But you do, don't you? I do. I believe this is real. So I'm going to insist that my face and my words and my actions and my text messages are going to reflect what I know to be true. And I call upon you as your pastor to make that same 
determination in your life. You're going to say, we are going to be joyful because God has commanded us in Philippians 4.4 to be joyful. And then you start working that system and say, okay, what kills my joy? And I can't answer that for you. Only you can. I know for me, staying addicted to the news cycle kills my joy. It's bad, man. None of it is commendable and excellent and worthy of praise and pure. And I say, oh, I'm just trying to be a good citizen. You're being a sucker, Tyler. That's what you're being. That's what the Lord said to me. Because you just keep on clicking. Keep on clicking. Every time you do, it's another nickel in somebody's pocket. That kills my joy. Dwelling on bad situations, stressful conversations, insults that people have thrown my way, even from the past, that kills my joy. And you're just sitting there, and it's been years, but you're still, and you're like Gollum. You pull the ring out every so often, and you polish it. You're still nursing those old hatreds and those old scars, and it, it turns you into an obsessive person. The Lord's like, don't do that. Let those things go. Focusing on how other Christians have errant doctrine and errant practice kills my joy. And all I can talk about is how somebody else is getting it wrong, and I never spend any time talking about the truth. When you want to have a conversation with somebody about the, the Lord and Instead of talking about what you've been learning lately, you've got to talk about what they said. That kills my joy. So if I believe what the word has said, i got to stop doing that stuff. I don't know what it looks like for you. I told you this was partly a confession. Because I think that this is where the Lord wants to bring all of us. And this is where we're going to turn to prayer now. Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. So if we are not full of joy, we're weak. Not the good kind of week where the Lord is your strength. It's the bad kind of week where you refuse to take up the gifts that God has given to you.